women had an unbelievable oh, yeah. logical uh purpose in business. We, we, you know, I'm not telling you this because of a woman, we are wired differently. We can handle way more balls than a man can. We're, that's just how we're wired. Mm. And we, we bring the soft side of relationships to a business problem. I remember being informed for many years and the men are always like, oh no, we need women because they'd be going through this massive transition whenever I'm like, yeah, but how's that going to affect your relationship? And you're this and you're that. I'm like, oh my God, I've never thought about that. And that's another side of women when you give them a voice that they totally can transform. And they really, I mean, I think it's great if you have a man and a woman and you're both running something, that's, that is really the successful component of having both. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I have an amazing young leader, uh, Hope DeRoche. Uh, she is uh, from Summerside, Prince Edward Island, and manages the Prince Edward Island area for our painting business. And uh, just a remarkable, remarkable young leader. Uh, Hope, last year, due to COVID, was um, we, we got it once in February to do first estimates, and we're not allowed back to PEI, our district manager, Conrad Smith, until July. So Hope needed to figure out how to produce, no second estimates, uh, no, no, no extra time uh, supporting uh, Hope while having a Mexico top performer type year. And then this year, she is actually on track with the best of years that we've ever had right now. And really, really amazing young leader. I know you're going to find it inspiring and motivating for what she's creating. And uh, yeah, so, uh, and you know what we're out looking for is other amazing leaders like Hope. So if you know of any amazing young leaders, please send them to me, uh, Thompson at studentworks.com. They can apply at studentworks.com. You could send this podcast or other podcasts so that they could learn more about what we do here at the Student Works Management Program. Have a fantastic day. Thanks so much. Well, Jody, I am so excited to have you on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks for joining us. Great, great. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, so one of the places I always love to start is going back, you know, um, what was Jody like, you know, late teenage years, early 20s? Who were you? What were you frustrated by? You know, just that sort of space, thinking back. So the mindset of my 20s. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I uh, very excited was going to conquer the world uh, finishing college. I actually graduated from fashion and interior design and marketing. And, you know, I was going to take the fashion world over. Didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. uh, was really, you know, the world was just there. And it was my up to my choice. I was very lucky. Um, always worked really hard. Had a choice of several jobs. And really, um, at the time, came to recognize what was really important to Jody. Uh, right. Didn't understand maybe my values at that point, but right. as I started to work and have relationships with employers, coworkers, and clients, really started to understand. Wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. Or oh, I really like that. 
And learning that for me, authenticity was one of my really, really important core values. And Chris, you've known me for decades. Absolutely. Still is. And still is. <laughs> still is. And, you know, working for a couple, quite frankly, male bosses when I first graduated, uh, if the Me Too movement was out, they would be in the news and realizing like, that's not right. Yeah. I need to be mentored, realizing at a very, in my early 20s, mentorship, coaching was so important for me to be with an organization that had that. And when it wasn't there, I left to find it. And I think I was a very independent, mature 20-year-old. I was already living on my own. I was uh, making my own money, supporting myself. But I really, someone told me once, your 20 to 30s are the most important years to really get your, you know, your four legs of your stool or four legs of your chair there yeah there and then you know 30 to 40 is where you just ram and make all your money and then 40 to 50 is where you kind of go okay what do i want to do in my downturn years right and uh yeah so i i don't know if that answers your question but oh i think it it, it does like i love a couple of things for our leaders is number one telling the truth really looking honestly at your life looking honestly at who you're spending your time with. I can't agree more with Jody about looking for mentors. Right. You know, and if yeah. if those if those mentors aren't there in those first jobs, again, looking for other opportunities that, that we'll get into next. And in terms of the 20 to 30s, I was listening to something or reading something the other day that 70% of your wage growth for most people right. is between the 20s and 30s. Uh-huh. So it's like you come out and then you establish this is what I'm worth. And for most people, there really is just inflation gains as they go along for, for top performers, obviously there's, there's growth and growth and growth beyond that. You know, people are able to grow and grow their incomes and, and their, uh, their, their wealth. So you, you left the company that shall not be named. Um, and Uh, there's actually two of them. Uh, And (laughs) I want to go back to what you just said about leaders. So, um, without naming names, the one leader that I work for was an absolutely visionary, like brilliant, brilliant leader. He was actually the guy that put Lululemon on the map. It wasn't, it wasn't who you think Chip. Okay. Because this guy put Lululemon in the Toronto downtown yoga scene, celebrities, influencers before we had social media. That's where Lululemon got really cool, right? Chip was mm-hmm. a really amazing, um, you know, more of a tree hugger kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I worked on some really cool projects, really out of the box that I loved. But what I didn't like was when I had to show a pair of, you know, $250 pants to Holt Renfrew and try and convince them that they should buy these because my imp manufacturer said they're not selling, sell these. I would say to the buyer, you know, I'm supposed to show you these and you're, I'm supposed to tell you to buy them, but they fit like shit. So don't buy these ones. So the buyers loved me and really we are our brand. And I say to every young person, you are your brand. Nobody ever can replace your reputation. And the second you cross that line, you're done. Yeah. And, you know, through the the next 10 years, uh, I was offered by the Bay. There was a swimwear buyer that wanted to book an appointment with me. Uh, to buy the line for across Canada. And I was much younger and better looking than Chris. And uh, he offered me a $500,000 purchase order if he could uh, really see the line. (laughs) And uh, I just said, you know, how do you handle that as a young woman? So I said, well, I'm really flattered, but Julia Roberts got a million dollars of pretty woman. So I'm sorry, I have to decline. (laughs) 
And that was my way of saying, are you kidding me? Right? Exactly. That, that wouldn't happen these days. That, that no. didn't happen. But those were the kinds of things when I was in my 20s that were happening. And I had to make like really conscious, dis- big decisions. Did I want to play that way? Because as a business person, there was many times I was offered, well, I'll buy your stuff if you give me an envelope of cash or if you try those swimsuits <sighs> on or all of that. And that's just a losing game because it will catch yeah. up. And I always went, no, thank you. And people could yeah. understand. My friends were in university. They're like, are you crazy? Yeah. Why not? And I said, because that's not who I am. And I, I really think that's important to my success is always putting those filters up and never crossing that line. Yeah, no, certainly one thing that's very clear for me, and again, over the decades is integrity, you know, you are who you are, like that is just apparent, that is just clear. And there's just, it's really, really powerful when, you know, people know, Chris or Jody, they're going to show up that way every day, every day, every day. And then And so it's like, you know, it's been, you know, we were just talking, you know, over a decade since we connected, we connect like that because again, you know, you haven't changed. I haven't changed our circumstances, our situations have, have, have adapted, but how we go about doing life. And it's not just business, it's life. Because again, decisions, decisions you make in your personal life are decisions you make in your business life. They're the exact same, they're the exact same thing. Listen, as an entrepreneur pre-COVID, you know, those of us who I think who are really, truly successful, there's no line. I mean, people say, when do you turn off? I said, turn off like when I'm dead, like (laughs) everything in front of you is an opportunity. Yeah. You know, I haven't talked to you in a decade, but it's going to end up that I'm going to hire you for something or you're going to call me for something because we share that integrity piece. Right. And exactly. And I always say to young people, people don't do business with companies. They do business with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really important if you don't love what you're doing, if you're not excited to go to work every day, don't. Yeah, yeah. And Jody, Jody, and I share that, and that's something you'll you'll hear on this podcast. So you moved out and you started your own your own business. So well, hold on, there, there's a gap. I okay, left, I left two companies that I was running at a very young okay. age. I got really disenchanted. I decided maybe I'll go to New York, so I went to New York. Okay, I had a great job on Seventh Avenue with Guest Jeans, which you, back then was like the big huge jean line. Yes, within two weeks, I was like took over. They made me like head of a division selling Macy's and all the big department stores. Wow. The other people in at Guest Jeans, the women hated me. They stole my passport. They they took like those big sugar jars and poured them in my purse because they were just threatened by my success, which was, I was just a really energetic, hyper, passionate, authentic person. And I didn't know what to do with that in in New York. So I came back to Canada, said, you know, what is it with this world? Like my values are very unaligned with the fashion industry. I got to get out. So I took a job interview with a headhunter and do not ever do this. And he looked at my resume and said, how old are you? You've done all of this. Yeah. I need you to meet someone. Come in the car with me. I can't even believe I went in the car (laughs) and he drove me to this dilapidated warehouse in industrial Toronto, introduced me to this guy, looked at my resume and said, yeah, she'll do. I started the next day and I was in the absolute opposite of the fashion industry. I was in the discount industry and this guy owned 30 stores and he used to go to factories and buy what we used to call big job lots. And he would take 10% and put them in his stores all through Ontario and give me 90% to go wholesale them out to other people. 
and we had no computers. We had no website. I mean, we had computers for accounting, but we didn't have websites yeah. or email. And yes. I just had to figure out like, okay, so I'd go down to the library with a handful of dimes and, oh, I'm going to sell sporting goods stores in Alberta this week. And I would just get the librarian who became my best friend. Every Sunday I brought her coffee. She had all the directories ready. And that was my call list for the next week. And I just started calling and I loved the thrill of making people happy, of visually explaining to them what, what products I had or deals I had that they should put in their store. And I always say, I wowed them by always giving them more. I didn't just sell them a product. Yeah. I told them how to merchandise it, how to do a two, four, three, four, how to display it, you know, how to do a gift, whatever. And they were like, oh my God. And I did that over the phone, right? So I got so excited over the the rhythm of the discount world. It was fast. It was exciting. Yeah. And then he, after three years, made a really bad business decision, came to me and said, you make me all my money. So I'm going to set you up next door because I have to bankrupt the company over my stupid acquisition. And I just said, you know, maybe what I should do is just do it myself. And right. really, I ran his company like it was my own. I was on full commission. I never got a paycheck. Yeah. So I just thought, well, I might as well take 100% of the profits, not 10%. And yeah, but I didn't work any harder for myself than I did for him. And that's why the entire industry in Canada heard what happened. All the vendors called me up and said, we heard you left. We're here to back you. What do you need? We'll just go sell our product and we'll ship you and pay us when you get paid. And I was like 21, 22. And I was like, okay, thank you. And that's called self-financing. <laughs> You know, wow. I didn't have to go to a bank, but my rep going back to what I said, the integrity, your reputation, yes. my reputation was, and my father was an accountant. I was brought up. Don't ever go to bed or buy a deal. If you can't pay for it, if your customer doesn't pay you, right now, don't hire people for the sake of having a lot of bodies. If you don't get paid by your customers that you won't be able to pay them. Right. And that served you. I'm sure many times, because sometimes people don't pay. Right. Sometimes, obviously. Lots of times people don't yeah. pay or lots of times, you know, you have ups and downs in business and cycles. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there's nothing worse. I can't imagine of like, oh, my God, how am I going to make payroll or pay my suppliers? And your suppliers are your most important thing. Your customers yes. are, are there, but you're without your suppliers. You don't have a business. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I was not aware that you you got your business really in a quote unquote turnaround. You know, because that's actually what happened for me as well. I bought my business in a in a in a turnaround situation. My uh, one of the 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 founders made a a couple bad uh, or you know not 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 good business decisions, yeah. and as a result, he found himself he needed to sell, and right. so so that was a, a a you know a great opportunity yeah. for me. So it's it's like being in the right place at the right time matters. And it's always, I think, for entrepreneurial mindset people. There's opportunities a hundred times a day and you got to yes. go back to your filter, whether it be, I mean, I ended up starting my own business. I had, yeah. I had registered the name bargains, you know, years ago. Right. And so I already kind of had it. So on a Friday I left him and on Monday and the other part of the story, I think it's really important for young people that I tell all the time. When I left him, I left him on great terms. Mm -hmm. I said, whatever you need, I'm going to do this on my own, but you know, I'm here for you. If you need me to help sell your stuff. No problem, man. Like, no problem. He was yeah. a great mentor and coach to me. Yeah. So here's what happened, right? And I always say, remember how you exit, not how you enter a room. I had a big deal going to Eden for the young people. They probably won't know. We'll just say a department store across Canada for back to school, which is a very, used to be a huge time, right? Right. 
And um, I said to him, listen, you're going into receivership. I need to get these goods. They're going on a, a flyer in the Toronto Star for every every major city for Edens. And the buyer, like I promised them, and I told her things are a bit rocky. So he said, oh, no problem. You'll come in and deal with the receiver and you'll just buy the goods and, and ask her to change the purchase orders to your company. No problem. Called the buyer, told her. She said, thank you for letting me know. Go get it. Came in. Receiver apparently appointed him to do the selling. I knew if let's just say the goods were for sale at $5 and he paid, let's just say two. First of all, he never paid two. He never paid the person, nor was he. So I didn't know how to negotiate. I'm like, okay, 10 cents on the dollar. So I went from 10 cents on the dollar. I went all the way up to $5 because I was prepared to my reputation was I told this buyer, I was not going to let her down. Right. So if I was going to have to pay I went up to, sorry, four fifty because I needed money to ship it. Right. And he said, unless you pay me $5, I'm not interested. And I remember saying, are you kidding me? You owe me commissions that I will never see. Yeah. Know what I, how valuable I, you're going to ruin our relationship over a couple thousand dollars over this. And you're not even going to allow me to do all the work and, and, and pay you some money and get this to the buyer. And he said, yep. Yeah. I said, okay. So I called the buyer up and I, and I was crying in the car and I said, and I'm an authentic person. So I was crying. Yeah. And I said, I'm yeah. so disgusted. And what did she do? She said, Jody, we're going to fix him. You take the deal. He won't know how to ship it because their term, it was terrible to ship there. We're going to reroute them right across Canada. And we're going to fine him $5,000 per store for non-compliance. And we did. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, and to this day, my business yeah. soared through the roof and he struggled ever since that day. Yeah. And yeah. And my reputation was, Jody did everything she could. And the so the yeah. woman was able to pull the flyer in the Toronto yes. Star. She able to do everything. And she said, we're going to put, and, and he'll never do business with the store again. Yeah. No. And you know, it's one of those things as well, where, where people play short-term games like that, and then they don't really understand all the levers. Yeah. Like we're just, we, we had a long discussion about levers that people aren't aware of before this. And, and it's, and it's like, you know, you just, again, you don't play that game just because there's, there's, you know, people go, oh, hold on, he's not aware of this. And, and all of a sudden, you know, just again, where had he played fairly and upfront and oh with integrity, yeah. he would have walked away with money and, and all those sorts of things. It's and just so, future. Yeah. And future, yeah. I'm, I'm a very big believer of collaboration and he mm-hmm. ended up opening an office, you know, like literally half a mile from me and suppliers continuously would tell me over decades, Oh my God, you were in here bidding and he was in here bidding. We, and we just said, forget it, give it to Jody. Right. Yeah. And even yeah. if I bid less, yeah. he would give it to me because of my reputation of being a fair, hardworking, authentic person. So yeah. really, really, really key. And you know, if there's one word for the, for the youth, I say it's all about, like you said, reputation, you know, marketing people call it brand. But yeah. you, you are your brand. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the, because I know we're going to get into the kits for a cause, et cetera. But tell us about the the Bargains Group and what, what that business does, et cetera. Obviously, a real legacy of success. Oh, thank you. Well, I started the company, so back then, 32 years ago. Mm-hmm. And back then, all I did was buy and sell big lots of clothing, uh, prepackage them into smaller lots, and then sell stores across Canada. So if you think about any small town, before Big Box and yeah. Walmart came to town, everything was really on that main street in that small town, right? You had the mm-hmm. women's wear, the Stedman's store, you know, the Cotter, the VNS, those type, those are 
Barkin Herald's Byway, those kind of small departments, those were my clients. And I was like a right. one-stop shop for all the different basic items. That's what I did. Right. And I was trained, don't buy anything that's fashionable or that you like, Jody, because if, <laughs> if, it, if you lose it in your warehouse for five years, you know, it's very volatile. You lose your shirt. So I'm selling like nothing sexy, guys. Underwear, yeah. long johns, mitts, gloves, socks, that kind of thing. Right. My passion was always helping the homeless. And uh, I ended up having one of those, you know, huge moments, euphoric moments where I was volunteering at a fashion show, met a woman at a homeless shelter at Covenant House and found out that they actually purchased socks and underwear for the shelter. And they were buying it from stores that I was selling the product to. Wow. So I just said, forget that. It was, you know, it was, we were meant to meet. Yeah. I believe in fate. And I gave her my card. And when I told her how much I would charge her for the same items, she actually asked me if they were stolen. And I said, no, they're not stolen. Like, let me help you. Instead of a four hour jaunt to the store, it'll be a four minute call. I'll ship yeah. it to you. You can pay me in 30 days and I'm happy yeah. to donate product to you also. And she started telling other shelters and hostels and out of the colds and Salvation Armies and churches. And I just started to have this flood of people calling me asking for help. And we're going back like 23 years ago, right? Yeah. Now, not only were they asking for help, they were awesome to deal with. They, they they would send me flowers and chocolates and ask if they could pay their bill early. What a concept. <laughs> they would return phone calls. They were yes. kind and respectful. So I thought, hmm, here's another filter. Who do I yeah. want to hang out with, right? Yeah. Or I could hang out. Walmart was coming to town. Um, you know, if anybody's ever sold Walmart. Amazon, like, no, like these are not nice people to deal with from a business perspective. Very Correct. successful. Yes. Like, yes. Nobody wants to hang out with those people. Nobody enjoys working there. They've totally ruined the climate. So and they've done it on purpose to drive purchasing lower and the cost of purchasing yeah. lower. Yeah. And I think there, there used to be a relate. Like when winners started, the founders of winners who were entrepreneurs said, our suppliers are the most important thing. Yeah. And they were probably more profitable. Th- they then than they are now because they had relationships with people like me and valued mm-hmm. those relationships and knew that we had to work together collaboratively to come out with awesome product for the store. Yeah. So that's kind of, I can't remember the story of course, now the question you asked me, Chris. So, uh, <laughs> well, we were, we were talking about the bargains group, but oh. really the bargains group turned into, you know, project winter survival. Well, and, no, and that's all, my charities. Oh, that's your other charities. Oh, sorry. So I sell stores. That's one division retail. Yeah. And that's softer because it's just not what it was. I then taught stores like I taught Canadian Tire and believe it or not, Loblaws. I was the one who convinced them to start selling socks and backpacks and things they didn't. And now look at Joe Fresh. Now, I taught people nobody has time grab their shopping cart and fill it up with other shit that they normally wouldn't be coming to your store for. That's what I taught Mm. them. And then I started to get into this charity stuff, which I really love. So we started a separate division because the calls were coming. Then we opened up a promotional products logo division, which I am not passionate about logo products, but again, I'm a one-stop shop. So charities do walkathons. Companies do, you know, you do t-shirts and ball caps and everybody wants a bargain. So companies from everywhere started coming to, and I did, I've done your t-shirts before. I know you have. They all started coming to me for that stuff. So we're still really big in that space, but it's only to compliment the other businesses. And then it broke my heart how many charities were coming to me. So I decided to grab a couple 
presidents like you and say, listen, I'm doing something really cool. Give me a hundred bucks and come to my warehouse next week. Surprise. And I had Mm. this kit packing and I invited a street nurse and to tell us about homelessness in 15 minutes, because none of my friends have any more attention span than that. And we packed kits and we then did something really different. We didn't walk the streets and give them out. We gave them and we invited the key shelters in and donated them to them. So the social workers would have the tools just like a painter needs tools to do their work. And that was such a memorable experience for the people. They said, this was unbelievable. I want to bring my kids. I want to bring my coworkers. I want to bring my friends. Can we do it again? And I was like, sure, cool. And we did it again. And then we gave it a name and the name became project winter survival. And then we found out that more homeless people die in the summer than they do in the winter from dehydration. And that's the eyebrow raised. You can't see that Chris just gave me. That's right. That's what what happens. So um, we give, so to give you an idea, 22 years later, these two projects are under a charity, which is called engage and change. It's a separate registered charity. And the only reason it became a charity was because people when I do a lot of speaking, banks, big companies said, we love what you do. We want to help you. How much money do you need? And I said, I don't know how much do you have. Exactly. And, they, and they said, can you give me a tax receipt? And I said, not really. So I hybrided it for a while with charities. And I realized yeah. we got to do it. So we became a charity. These two events run 22 years now. And it was really the um, infidel stages of corporate social responsibility. Yes. Which. Yeah did not exist 22 years ago. Entrepreneurs, I don't know, Chris, if you remember, business people used to go like, what's your problem? Like, why does she give us so much a crap about homeless people? Why isn't she focusing more on her bottom line? Mm -hmm. And I was always that different entrepreneur that that success wasn't just that revenue number for me. Yeah. And then fast forward now, uh, about three, four years ago, we started getting hundreds of calls from companies saying, we want to do a team building activity. We heard you can help us. And I would like, okay, what do you need? They needed an idea. They needed a charity because it's very complicated. You just can't call a charity up and say, hey, I've got 60 people. I'd love yeah. to come see you next Saturday. It's impact day. What should we bring? Because you know what the charity calls those calls? They call them executive daycare. Yes. Okay. So, and, yeah. and and like yeah. me saying, Chris, would you mind if I brought 40 of my people to your office and just hung out and watched what you do all day? No, yeah. no, it doesn't work. Why do you think you can do it at a charity? Yeah. So I started challenging companies. Uh, I remember Target when they came to Canada, they called me up and said, we've heard all about you. We want to bring our people with our bullseyes out to Project Water to your charity. And I'm like, awesome. How many people do you want to bring? And they told me. And I said, great. That's how, here's how much the investment's going to be for the donation. And they said, I don't think you understand. We're Target. And I said, yeah. I don't think you understand. I have a charity. <laughs> and if your people break their leg while they're lifting water, how would I ever be able to buy insurance? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, that's not our problem. I said, well, then don't come to my event. Exactly. Because as a business person, an entrepreneur, I can put that voice for advocacy for charities because they're too nice. Right. Exactly. So Kids for a Cause is now a movement. Very excited. Mm-hmm. I have a choice. Do I take my charity across Canada? Right. Uh, no, not sustainable. I'm an entrepreneur. So we decided to rip off and replicate ourselves, create a social enterprise called Kids for a Cause. We do, we match, we're a matchmaking service for teams, people, groups as small as two to 6,000 in person, virtually, match you up with causes. And we want you to do it 
not as a one of as a program. So, you know, uh, we want you to call it the blank blank program so that different offices or branches of your company, if you're throughout Canada or United States, can pick a different charity locally that they yeah. feel passionate about because young people are very passionate and philanthropic, which is awesome. Yes. And they've got the framework to just do it. It's a plug and play. Right. So that's where we are. Just fantastic. And, and so I want to want to bring it back to one thing that you said is, is really as well, like, you know, 20 years ago, it was really unusual to actually have companies who actually gave a hoot about philanthropy. Right. And things have, have shifted and shifted over the, over the years. And, and you like, like us, I guess we are, I think it's 18 years we've been supporting MS and now we've raised, we're coming up close to $2 million. And it, it yeah. started just because we had, well, well, my, what my wife had a clinically isolated event and we went and said, well, let's do something with this terrible yeah. thing that ended up not being a terrible thing because she didn't have another event. And we just went and started, you know, just working for this cause. And, and after 18 years, it's like, oh my gosh, look at how much money we've raised. Yeah, look, look at, at all the, the good we've done. Yeah. Look at the impact. And, awesome. and it wasn't, now most most people are listening to this is companies plan their impact it's like oh let's create yes. you know so they do it backwards right where for you i can tell um you know jody this was totally inwards how can i have an impact right what yeah. can i do I, I think companies should plan their impact i don't think yes. they're all doing it so i think what your good companies plan their impact and it's part of yeah. like anything it's part of their ethos how many employees are we going to have what are we spending on marketing what yeah. are we doing for philanthropy but one of the problems is like literally as i'm sitting here talking to you chris my phone just went off fellow entrepreneur said we've decided we're going to devote one percent to charities four days a week one percent of our time can you orchestrate a couple volunteer events for us? Because we love what you do. I guarantee you when I call them, they're going to say, when I say, well, how much is your budget? They're going to say, well, no, I'm giving my employees the time. Yes. And my next question is to any leader. So if you're giving your employees the time, do they have to do their job the following day when they've missed half an afternoon of work? And of course the answer is, well, yeah. Then I yes. say, great. So you're actually contributing to their mental health. Because you're actually stressing them out by having to do twice yes. the work the next day. And you yeah. haven't made any kind of financial investment. And investments into the community are both time and money. Yeah, Businesses can't run without money. They cannot run just with volunteers. They're not sustainable. So in order for our ecosystem to be sustainable, whether it be the MS Society or a yeah. local homeless shelter, or can, it doesn't matter. They need employees and they need volunteers and they need money to do the other things that both of those don't cover off. It's business. Yeah. It's just business. So I think it's really important also as leaders that you allow your staff or your teams to actually pick the charities as opposed to it comes down a lot of times from like my in my company, of course, this is what we do. But some of my employees have come to me and said, like, I'm really passionate about homelessness. But, you know, like, I really am also passionate about this. I said, well, like, let's do something. What do you want to do? Mm hmm. And I want to engage my people to be able to do what's important to them also, not yes. just what's important to me. Exactly. Exactly. No, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And so, you know, again, I, I'm sure our leaders are, are, are listening and really, really 
excited about what you've you've done and 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 you know the excitement that you have in what you're creating. And so one of the things that I want to spend some time on as well is both of us belong to the entrepreneurs organization. You stayed, I moved too far away from Toronto to to, to continue to be a, a member uh, and make sense. But what has it done for you to have an impact of 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 the relationships and the learning that you've had from EO? I think, you know, I don't have a management team kind of, you know, I, you know, I started yeah. the business just me. So in the very beginning, I joined when I was in my twenties, right? Yeah. And uh, it was a board of directors. It was an advisory group. It was, you know, my friends were in university. You know, yeah. I didn't, I couldn't talk shop about like, should I do this? Like, they were like, I don't know, just do you have money? You're buying the beer, right? Like, that's what it was all about. <laughs> Because yeah. uh, I had the apartment, I had the car, I had the money, um, mm -hmm. but I didn't have people I could talk to. And I think, uh, secondly, as a woman, it's even harder because when I would be in my 20s, you know, going out to the bar, going out partying or drinking or whatever, um, I wanted to talk shop with the boys. Like I was interested yeah. in business. I didn't want to talk like, you know, with the girls. That was always a problem for me. Mm -hmm. I was intrigued by business. I was a growth minded person. So EO really able to give me that community where I was with like-minded people who were also the same thing. It was kind of a club, right? You know, when you're in right. university, you join a club. So it was a club of like-minded people. It was safe, very structured. And it gave me um, a network also, which is so important to talk to people. And it still does. I've got a problem. I can put it out there onto my WhatsApp group. And like in five minutes, I've got, you know, 10 people across the, sometimes the world saying, I can help you with that. It, it's like a big fraternity, right? So that's, that's what it gave me a uh, mm -hmm. trusted set of advisors. And now as I'm, you know, one of the elders there, uh, I love mentoring people. I love teaching and because I give, but I also learn at the same time. Right. Yes. So I just I love it. And it also forces me yesterday, for example, there was a learning session like I sign up for things that I never would potentially investigate. Deepak Chopra was on uh, for a one hour session and I was having a really rough day and I'm like, this is perfect timing. So I signed on for an hour. I heard him he's a really spiritual visionary guy. We ended up doing like a 10 minute Zoom meditation. Yeah. It was just reset my whole day. And I thought, wow, like this is the experiences that I'm able to have because of this wonderful organization. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so how did you know running a business was the right thing for you? You know, we've got a bunch of 20 year olds, leaders listening. How did you know that was the right thing? Honestly, I didn't. You know, okay. I was doing it for someone else. and. I ran the business for him, any of the businesses I ran for three, three different men. Um, yeah. I always ran them like they were mine. Like that's how I was, you know, I was taught and I tell my children own it. Yeah. Like I'm going to give you the framework. I'm going to, or if you don't have it, you're working for somebody, ask for the framework, ask for the expectation. What does success look like? Always ask for feedback and always understand that life is about evolution. I will never be a 10 out of 10. I'll never allow myself. I always want to be an eight or a nine and getting better, you know? Right. And, yeah. and so I think it was just about opportunities and really constantly, uh, I'm really uh, big in self-assessment. EO taught me a lot of that constant. Where am I? Am I happy? Am I not happy? And constantly tweaking back to well, what would make me more happy? Well, right now I'm spending, you know, 
80 hours a week answering emails. So I got to get another assistant just to do my emails because then I can do better. What? Not that I don't like answering emails, but I'm not that good at it. So mm-hmm. constantly recognizing what should I really do to make me happy and what can I outsource? Fantastic. And so what about thinking back? I know you've had just so much success in your career. What about failures or mistakes and how do you look at those? I look at those. I don't call them failures or mistakes. I call them speed think so. bumps. I call them <laughs> speed bumps. And I say, you know, I think over the years, honestly, there's only been one like wrong decision. I take a long time to make a decision. I take a long time. I involve a lot of people. I'm a very collaborative. So I would generally say from a business perspective, I don't make mistakes. The only time I have, and it's been a costly ones, are when I didn't set up the matrices or the systems. I wasn't checking in and measuring. And then all of a sudden I turned around and $100,000 went out the door because I didn't set up those systems. And when I caught caught it, it was a vendor who was you know taking advantage. I was mad at myself. Because mm-hmm. they were screwing me, but at the end of the day, you know, I have a sign on my wall that says, "Are you a victim or are you a champion?" Yes. I don't live in the victim mentality. I vic- I I live in the whatever happens to me, it's up to me. Yeah. And my staff knows. You want to come in here? You 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 uh, start acting like a victim. I'll point to V and say, "Be a champion." Yeah. And it's just, I think, the mindset of how people like you and I look at things. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being a hundred percent responsible for your life. You know, we both, we both hold that as, as, you know, just like, you know, everything I'm responsible for and okay. You know, how's this happening for me? All those different types of ways of looking at uh, our lives. So, um, as you went from, you know, that 20 year old to becoming a, you know, value creator in the full-time world, what did you need to change about yourself, Jody? I think I had to really figure out what was important to me. So, and I'm not talking just business. I'm talking lifestyle, right? right? So what was important to me? I did want to get married. I did want to have a family. I recognized that I was a workaholic and loved it. Mm -hmm. So I had to make sure that I lived 15 minutes from where I, where I worked because I wanted to be that mother who showed up two minutes before the hockey game started or the school play was going on, uh, which I was. And then I had to really figure out the plan like anything else. Like, you know, I couldn't do what I wanted to do until I had enough money to hire a nanny. Right. Right. I couldn't do that until I had enough money to hire, to build a house that had a room for it. You know, like, so I had all these decisions mapped out and people laughed at me for this, but I just said like, this is me and it's my story. So I'm going to create it the way I want to create it. And it was lonely. I'm not going to tell you, like I got criticized a lot and I'll never forget when I was ready to have my second kid we had grown out of our space. And I said, I can't have a second kid until I find a bigger space because I need to have the room, the nursery, the, you know, all of that. I brought my children to work. I came back to work after three days of giving birth with my kids. I remember that. (laughs) And I remember there was a lot of judgment, a lot of judgment. judgment. And back then I was like, why are you judging me? Because of course I was, I'll never forget. I, I flew to, I was doing a lot of speaking. I flew to Montreal and gave the, the, um, addressed to the MBA students at Montreal three weeks after I gave birth to my second child. And I was so excited that I was going to be in a hotel. I was going to be able to have a TV converter, an awesome meal, and I was going to get a sleep. Right. And I got challenged by two men in the audience and actually called me out in front of thousands of people and said, what kind of mother are you that you've just had a baby and you're actually here and you've abandoned your baby. And I said to him, who the fuck are you? 
you know, sorry if I swore on this. That's okay. You know, Our leaders you, can handle it. <laughs> I am behind the stage pumping, double express pumping my milk, telling your Canada I need access to the freezer to put my milk in. So when I get yeah. off the plane, I can refill the bottles that my husband was filling my milk. Like, you know, like my, yeah. you know, and, and my child was fully loved. So I was such happy. a double standard, double such a double standard. standard. And I just Horrible. said, yeah. if you're happy, everything around you works. If you're yeah. not happy, your relationships aren't great, whether they be with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your business can be okay. You can be on autopilot, but yeah. the second you, you are at your happiness state, everything works out. That's just how the universe works. Yeah, no. Well, I, I just, you know, and and certainly, you know, that double stand standard, you know, has shown up a lot. Right. Just, I know, I, I, I can't not answer, ask the question just, you know, because we have so many amazing, uh, you know, future powerful leaders and existing powerful leaders in our program. How do you deal with that as a women leader? And what coaching do you provide or feedback do you provide for them? To the women. You know, and, and yeah. Well, and, and, yeah. I, I will say it. I do a lot of speaking that. There is a glass ceiling. Okay. It's there. Just accept it. Mm. Right. So when I want to go to the bank and do something, my father used to be my controller. I would just send my father into the bank. He would get whatever we wanted. They didn't know he was an employee. Right. They just assumed he ran the business. It used to make, it made me disappointed in the banking system. But the second I learned to say, oh, well, right. You know, it's the way it is. Oh, well spend my energy somewhere else. So don't get caught up on it. Just recognize when you're a woman and you're in a traditional uh, field like painting, um, you probably have to work harder. Like, oh, let me get the ladder. I'm sure there's those kind of situations. You know, I sometimes say, let them hold the ladder if they feel that like, like use it when you can. That's all I have to say. Like (laughs) I can play dumb blonde and you've seen me grow as victim. When I got to play it, it's actually awesome being a woman because you can go both ways. If I feel like crying because whatever, like I can just use it. But you know, I've, I'm tough. Like I'm a people in business say to me, Jody's like a blonde guy. You know, I, I, I talk like a trucker. I mean, I've had to, my world is a guy's world and that's okay. Yeah. I, I actually like being around men business. Like there's a lot less bullshit and drama. Right. And I think for women, just really the most important thing is realize that if you want to, you still do have to have a family. If you want to do that, men have not been able to procreate yet. Yes, correct. And you are going to have to potentially figure out how you're going to make that work. So that's a whole other piece that is reality. It's not easy. No. But it's totally doable. Yeah. No, and and certainly, again, generationally, it has shifted and shifted and shifted. Again, just in, right. in finding, finding, quote unquote, men who have an understanding of really, again, going into partnership with, uh, you know, fellow, uh, you know, females, you know, is, is, a, is a good thing and something that can work and, and not seeing it as a double standard as that That's MBA right. student did. Women, so, yeah. women, I will say, add, you know, even if you think about forum, right? Women had an unbelievable, oh, yeah. logical uh, purpose in business. We, we, you know, I'm not telling you this because of a woman, we are wired differently. We can handle way more balls than a man can. We're, that's just how we're wired. Mm. And we we bring the soft side of relationships to a business problem. I remember being informed for many years and the men are always like, oh, no, we need women because they'd be going through this massive transition whenever I'm like, yeah, but how's that going to affect your relationship? And you're this and you're that. I'm like, oh, my God, I've never thought about that. 
And that's another side of women when you give them a voice that they totally can transform. And they really, I mean, I think it's great if you have a man and a woman and you're both running something, that's, that is really the successful component of having both. Right, right. Yeah, no. And, and, and as in my form, we've been 25 years, we have an incredible uh, Wendy Porter. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so the laugh was Jody went, I've got a 1 PM, uh, just a l- little note, which is perfect. I totally forgot. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're good. I expected, I expected Jody. So two, two other questions. What key habits would someone want to steal from you? I think people refer to me as the, the ever ready bunny. Yeah. I think my, I mean, the habits are my, my tenacity. Like I'm very scheduled. Everything mm. is color coded in my schedule. Um, but right now, the last several years, what's most important is self-care. So if I can delegate, uh, firstly, everything. So for example, I don't cook, I don't clean, I don't buy groceries, especially during COVID. I can work 20 hours a day because right. I've outsourced all of that other stuff. Not because... Right. I'm a princess because yeah. I'm not good at it and I don't enjoy sure. it. So why, why do it? So I think I'm really good at letting go and delegating. And that gives me the freedom and the bandwidth to really focus on what makes me feel good. And to me, the better I feel, the more money I make yeah. that kind of that. And really, I would also say, listen to your inner voice and yourself. It's Mm -hmm. lonely and it's hard sometimes. And there's tons of uh, support from coaching and mentoring and mentorship circles and things. Um, Really, really, really important because entrepreneurs are different than everybody else. Yes. And the world is set up that people are envious of people like us. So just do what you feel good and don't care about anybody around you, what they think, what they judge. It doesn't matter if you're happy you will be successful at it. Right. That's, I love that. So powerful, Jody, And so you, you know, just love it, you know, and, and trust yourself. So final question. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? I'll be honest with you. Leaders of tomorrow are scaring me. Okay. I think uh, I have five kids that are all in their twenties, almost in the twenties. Yeah. And I think that I have coddled my children more than I was. So uh, I think the important thing for the younger generation is to learn passion and not get impatient. Mm -hmm. Money will follow. Mm -hmm. Figure out what you're passionate about. Be really good at it. Be the best you can. Build your network. You know, I talked to my kids. One of them I was like at 15, he was on LinkedIn. He's already got 2000 people like build your network. Your network is everything because when you yeah. need something and you put it on LinkedIn and you've got a big network, it's magical and really don't waver with that authenticity, like figure out what your values are as a person, write them and always ask yourself, are you every decision you make, are you making them within your values? And if you're lucky enough to have a, uh, a staff around you in a workforce, Share your values with your fellow coworkers and ensure that they're also, you know, acting within the values. We have a, we had a saying here, there is WWJD. There's somebody years ago, there was like, what, what would Jody do? What would Jesus do? Right? <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> and they had, what, what would Jody do? And I think gave me a belt buckle, awesome. a Wonder Woman belt buckle. And they said, I said, when I'm not in the building or you can't get a hold of me, just ask yourself WWJD. And because they knew what I stood for, they yeah. can make decisions. So I think awesome. it's important that 
the young leaders recognize they can't do it all. Surround yourself by people that's smarter than you, trust them, and be patient. The younger generation is like, ah, be yeah. patient. Success takes time. It is not an over, you know, an overnight movie ticket kind of thing. It's a long road, isn't it? And we've we've been you know driving on that road a long time, and and uh, it it's it's a long road, and and I think patience is just such a great, uh, you know, great value, great great habit for our young leaders. So Jody, thank you, thank you, thank you. This has been an awesome time. We had a way lo- a lo- real long conversation before the podcast as well, catching up. Uh, continued success. Let's stay in touch. Um, Post COVID, we're going to go have a glass of wine. Absolutely. So. <laughs> and if any, any of your people ever need anything, I am. When I say I'm authentic, I always say, if you want to get a hold of me, you want to ask a question, you want to have a, a virtual coffee reach out to me, um, you know, at, at Jody Steinhauer on LinkedIn or Bargains Group. I, I actually will book time with you and and help you if you need it. Fantastic. You're awesome. Right. <laughs> Thanks you so much. Take have care. a fantastic day. Okay, Bye-bye. Thanks. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.